Good morning, Minneapolis, and other beautiful cities all around the world. My name is Lavia Alva, and I am an extreme extrovert. So today, as we continue the Notebook Chronicles of this series, I kind of want to talk about an element that everyone can relate to. And that is death. And I'm not going to keep this dark because it is early here in Minneapolis. It's about 8 a.m., 75 degrees, cool, not too hot, not too cold. It's a very nice day, a very beautiful day. However, some people in my close group have been reaching the end of their journey of life. And just for my own coping and everything that's around, I do want to speculate a little bit about this topic. As you know, around the world, a lot of people have a lot of different customs when it comes to how they prepare for death. And the thing that's so human about death is that everyone can understand this hardship. Even if someone hasn't been close to you, you can kind of understand the concept when someone says, you know, my grandma passed away, my dog passed away. Even when someone says my fish passed away, whatever, right? Something changed and you're moving on to the next. And it's very interesting because it's a concept that we know a little bit about. Like when you go on YouTube and you can look up all sorts of things. Rituals people do. What happens to the body? Does it decompose? And when it decomposes, what happens? And then there's all those, those speculations about what happens to you afterward. And a lot of people, some people, It may cause some fear of not knowing what is the unknown. And this is what I kind of realized after I got a little bit older. I'm not too old, but getting a little bit older in life. I realized that fearing death kind of takes away from living life. Obviously, people might argue and be like, you know, don't do something stupid. Don't jump out of a plane without a parachute and expect to survive. Because the, <laughs> you know, the odds are with you or it's not your time or Jesus is looking after you. You know, stuff like that. Um, it's interesting to me how cheating death um, is even a thing. You know, because you always hear sometimes about people... Um, Receiving or experiencing miracles. When I personally think about a miracle, I think of something that all odds were against them and it still happened. I know there's a religious association with that word. I'm not religious. I respect people that have religion, but me, I'm not religious. So like, when I think of a miracle, I'm not thinking about, you know, something that... The holy people are like gods or some 
somebody of a higher power is, you know, granting that upon people. I don't believe that. I'm not saying that's a wrong belief. But I believe that it's just the odds. It's kind of like when... It's kind of like when you have a child. Sometimes your child will come out with the most dominant genes that correlates to each parent. And I'm not talking about promiscuity, adultery. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, legitimate biological children will have sometimes characteristics that are just out of the ordinary. Um, perhaps it seems that way. So, for example, my grandpa, he had red hair. Both his parents, Scandinavian, black hair. Um, however, some genes cross over. So it's like, I consider that almost like a genetic miracle because it is not in your odds to have maybe a particular hair color, saying that your parents are, you know, loyal to each other, and you sometimes end up with something different. And this is what gets tricky about life is because we always have hope and you always learn to hope for the best. And this is a good thing and a toxic thing. A good thing because it's optimistic. You're like, so for example, um, one of the people that are very, um, that is very important to the Minneapolis um, punk scene He had some medical difficulties. I'm going to keep his name, um, just, I won't even say his name, just for confidentiality. Um, but this person is in a coma at this moment. And with life, I don't mean to be critical, but sometimes we do hope a little too much. When something is in the odds that it's not going to work out, Sometimes it is natural to want it to work out and to wish optimistically that, for example, that this person will survive, even when the odds are against them. And I think there has to be a line between understanding when do we hope and when are we ignoring the facts and almost presenting ourselves with a toxic positivity have you ever done something like a race right you didn't practice for it <laughs> everyone has probably done this you know you had a test that's coming up you didn't practice for it you didn't prepare for it and you look at the test and you know, <laughs> you know 100% you're not going to do so well. Now, this is where life gets tricky. Where, in fact, do you lose? Do you lose in the beginning when you believe and you know from your reason that you did not study for this test and you're going to fail? And some people would say that this is a pre-existing notion. And for those who don't know what a pre-existing notion is, a pre-existing notion means that you believe something. So because you believe something, 
it will happen that way and it will make it believe because your mind is believing that it will happen that way. Kind of like the placebo effect. The placebo effect is a huge pre-existing notion. You take a medicine, it might not even have the compounds that you have or that you need. But because you believe it to happen mentally, you already have prepared yourself to get the results that you want. So when we go across the journey of life, people often, it's, it's kind of controversial because a lot of people will say like, oh, positive thinking, you know, you have to believe that you're going to get it to achieve it. But will you achieve a test if you did not practice for it and you did not prepare for it? And you, in fact, did not look at any of the subjects. And most people, within reason, would say you are most likely going to fail. You are going to fail. It's not a pre-existing notion. It's fact. Because you have no existing knowledge of that test. It's like saying, I'm going to go take a driving test, but you've never been in a car. You don't even know anything about cars. You don't even know how to turn it on. How are you going to pass? Excuse me. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. The allergies. But sometimes we see miracles. And in life... I've done this before. I knew that there was a test that I was not prepared for, never looked at it once, yet I still went in, took the test, hoping that maybe the slightest possibility I would pass the test. And this is the interesting thing about life, because life is all about choices. Are you going to go and take the test Regardless, if you know that you've never taken it and you've never prepared and you don't know what the items are, the subjects. Or are you going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait until I study and I'll retake the test. And some people would, see, this is why it's controversial. Because some people would say, it's good to take the test. Just take it. See how it is. Now you've learned. Now you know what's on it now. Now you know what you're going to do. If you have the option to retake it, some people would even advise you to go and try it just so that you can see for the second hand and you'll be prepared the second time around. But then other people would look at it and be like, you know what? We're not going to do that. Why waste your time? Get it done right the first time. And which one is right? I don't know. It depends on you and what is right for you. And so when people, taking that, con- like that concept and that perspective, when people die, a lot of people, like for example, like this person's in a coma, a lot of people will be like, pray, think positively, they can get out, they'll do this. This is how we're coping. This is how we're getting through this. Because we know that with this perseverance, perseverance, that a miracle might in fact happen. And for some people, that's worth doing. 
Because for them, it's like the last shot that they had. They gave everything that they could have possibly done to try to make an outcome that they would have preferred. Technically, like... When it comes to facts, I don't know if I believe that... Uh, see, I, I don't know. A part of me wants to say, you know what? Forget about it. Don't, don't do that. Just take it easy. Get ready for the test. Get ready for the end. Get ready for the death. If death is coming, why not prepare for it? Get ready. Get ready. How are you going to cope? How are you going to move on? How are you going to get through? And for me, this is logical. For me, this is really logical because... (sighs) Hope can be toxic. It can't. And it's interesting because it's not right or wrong. And I do agree that you should surround yourself with positive people, people that love you. And that's the thing, is sometimes praying and hoping is a bonding experience for people. They're like, you know what, we're going to be together. We're going to go through this together when our loved one dies. We're going to be together and doing the best that we can do. For some people, that is their way of, like I had mentioned earlier, just kind of doing the last thing that is meant to be for them. I was asked to cast like a like a helping spell for two of the people that are experiencing a lot of trouble with this person. um, A lot of coping trouble with this person that's in a coma. With good reason. And I will do that. If someone asks me to do that, I will do it. Um, Because that's what they want and that's what they need. So I will give that to them. And I'll do that later on today. And I hope that even though we talked about kind of like a... Not the happiest of topics. Maybe perhaps like just talking about it a little bit definitely eased the anxiety for me because I'm gonna see death in the future because it is present it's gonna be happening soon and for me personally I'm going to embrace it it's not me that is dying it is this person that is important to Minneapolis Um, And they're in a coma right now. And... I'm as well going to put out just healing energies. Because I know in my heart what I believe is going to happen. (laughs) And it's all about acceptance. One thing I do really want to keep note, though, when we, before we end our topic of death and moving on, is that 
unlike other things. <laughs> even though a even though a lot of people cope with this particular thing that happens in your life of losing somebody that you love and that you admire is that the thing about coping is it's so diverse. Some people cope in so many ways. Some people cry so hard the first day and then never cry again. Some people never cry, but then for 10 years, sad, 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 drinking, um, isolating. And it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting thing because since it's so human and so universal, you'd think that by now we would have mastered something. But that's the thing, is that we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what happens to people. And the loss is so significant. You can't teach someone how to cope with a loss unless they experience, experience it. I remember even when I was younger, the first person that I've ever lost in my life was one of uh, my, my neighbors. Her name was Carol. She's long gone now. Her family's long gone. So I can use her name. Her name was Carol. And um, when I was little, she would babysit me. When I was about 8 to 10 years old. I'm 28 now. And she would... She would allow me to eat sweets and candies. But I remember specifically, she always taught me to eat my veggies first. You know, that's what most people teach you when you're a child. You know, eat your veggies first, eat your food first, and you can have these desserts. But Carol, man, she said beets were good for you. She was like, beets are the best thing for you. So every time I had to go over to her house, she would feed me beets. And I did not like beets. I did not like them. And I don't know why she would give them to me, but she said it was because they were so good for you. And she didn't give me a lot. She only gave me like maybe like three or four beets. And she was like, eat these beets. They're good for your eyes. They're good for your whatever. And I just remember that very clearly. Do I eat beets? Hell no. Sorry, Carol. <laughs> I don't. But it's so interesting because every time I like run into that, like kind of vegetable, a, a sparing thought of Carol kind of like sparks into my brain. And when I experienced the death Carol as a young child I didn't first really understand it that's something that is like probably every parent's worst nightmare is trying to explain uh, uh, well along with sex maybe but like trying to explain like what happens when someone is gone and I remember with my eight to ten however old I was my eyes my young eyes I saw Carol. She was an open casket. All our family was there. Her family was... I really liked her family. But like, I like people that are very friendly people. And they like made all of her favorite foods. At this funeral, we ate all of her recipes, all her favorite foods. Listened to her musics. Um, just enjoyed her life genuinely, honestly. And the things that she genuinely enjoyed. I'm surprised there were no beats there. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Um, but I remember looking at her in the casket and be like, you know what? 
what is going on here? Because she wasn't moving. And the makeup that, like, they put her in didn't even look like her. Wasn't someone I recognized. And a lot of people were like, you know, it's time to say goodbye. What are you going to tell Carol? She's not coming back. And for me, I thought that was so confusing. Because I was like, I see her. She's there. She's resting. What do you mean she's not coming back? And that's the thing, is you can't explain to someone, oh, she's, you know, if, if you're a young person and you, you kind of understand death, but you kind of don't, and when, you know, this is your first time, it's really confusing. I remember my mom experienced death for the first time, and they had done it totally different. They told her that he was buried in the ground and he wasn't coming back. What did she do? She went back to the backyard and tried to dig him up because she thought that he was in the ground. And I don't, I'm not saying that that was a bad decision. I'm just saying that, like, with time, there needs to be a time where you eventually teach people how to correct, like, correctly cope with death. But the thing is, we, nobody knows because we don't really know what happens after death. So what are we going to do? How, what are we going to tell our young people? What are we going to tell people that are like coping with this? What's the healthy ways of doing it? I'm definitely not going to advise my children to drink like a pint of beer like most of my friends do when someone dies. Or like a bottle of Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Isn't Jack Daniels a... Oh yeah, that is a whiskey. See, I've been sober for so long I can't remember. <laughs> but you know... There's no right way. And so I guess the topic of today's chapter is what do you what do you believe about this concept? What do you honestly believe in your heart? Even if it makes no sense to the world, what do you honestly believe? What are you going to teach others? And as I leave that with you this morning, I am going to send out some positive vibes. I hope that you have a good day. And if you're listening, I hope that, you know, even if your day is supposed to be long, even if it's supposed to be stressful, I hope that you have a good one. I hope that you have somebody that can listen to you. I hope that maybe you receive a hug today if you like hugs. Make sure you get water. Make sure you have all your meals today. Just a friendly reminder to take care of yourself. Prioritize yourself. And you deserve it. You deserve a good day. And with that, safest, 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 safest of travels. <laughs>